Hello and welcome to episode 72 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that is missing out on all the fun and excitement that our friends are having in Vegas as we record. Why do you ask? But the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I am joined by the Voldaren Epicure herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? Yeah, doing well. Um, had a week off after the nice. big announcement the week before. Thought I'd take a week off just to kind of recoup and, you know, have this thing called time to yourself, which you should definitely make more of. Mm. Um, so in terms of content uh, this week, I do have a feature over at Polygon going up, hopefully this week. And nice. it looks at the best five D&D campaigns for an entry-level DM or for, you know, an entry-level like D&D player. While Curse of Strahd is considered like the best campaign, mm. let's be honest, I look at all the other ones. So there is no Curse of Strahd, so when you read it, don't get angry that I've admitted Curse of Strahd is deliberate because there are other really good campaigns that you can play for, for D&D. Mm. So you can check that over at Polygon now. Uh, it's a nice little write-up. Otherwise, I've been playing a lot of Pioneer because I've got nice. those Challenger decks and Pioneer is really, really neat. Mm. So I'm in the process of upgrading them all for, you know, to be in line with, you know, fully optimised and whatnot. So Lotus Combo is all done, which is the one I'm not really going to play, but it was the easiest one to upgrade yeah. because, you know, it's just mostly like sideboard stuff. Yeah. The hardest bit is sourcing all the pathway lands because apparently nobody just has them. They just hmm. don't exist anymore. Like, at least in like the UK retailers, like no one has them because yeah. then the Car Horizon came out during the pandemic. People didn't mm. really open stuff. And now people are playing like Standard and Pioneer. Yeah. The demand's not there. Or the demand's still there. So um, I'll have to find those one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just want to give a quick shout out to Wizards of the Coast for sending me a Crimson Vow press kit, which included a bunch of boosters, so set, collector, and draft. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't get any sweets this time, which was a bit annoyed about because oh, that's yeah. the best bit about these things is is the lollipops and the and the candy. You know what? Like... Yeah, yeah. Because I got I got the exact same package. I was going to talk about it on my part, but yeah, I got the exact same package. I just noticed now, no sweets. Yeah, I, oh the first God. thing I go for, I raid those lollipops. I'm like, eh, boosters, whatever. Give me the candy. Yeah, pack one, no pack candy. one candy. Yeah. Yeah, this is it. And it's like, <laughs> and, and it came out and they're like, it's all like Halloween-y and like horror and stuff. So you'd think there'd be candy. Come yeah. on, Watsy. So yeah, I opened some cool stuff. It still sucks that you, that the set and collector boosters aren't curated. And what I mean by that is you can open the same card in the same pack. That's a different mm. frame. So like draft commons, for example, it just doesn't yeah. really feel great. Even though we didn't pay anything for them, it mm. still feels kind of bad. So outside of magic and content, I've been watching Cowboy Bebop on mm. uh, Netflix a live action uh, adaptation and honestly I think it's really great agreed I'm really really enjoying it and um, leads into the silliness quite a bit which is a huge part of the charm because the anime was also fairly silly let's be honest um, and if you're going into the remake or the adaptation with the hope for a like for like copy of the anime you're going to be disappointed because it's impossible to port that from two different mediums right yep I do think there is some tunnel vision because we've had stuff like Death Note live action, which was just not good, let's yeah. be honest. That yep. was terrible. Um, but you can't tie them all under the same brush. I think you need to be pretty open-minded about it. But I'm enjoying it. You know, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's, it's still pretty fun. Um, I'm about halfway yeah. through it at the moment. I need to watch the rest of it. Nice. Um, but I, I enjoy it for the campness and the silliness that is happening right now. What about yeah. you? What have you been up to? Um, yeah, I've been up to a few bits. Um, I may as well just talk about Cowboy Bebop for a second because I was also going to talk about it. Because, yeah, I, I've watched most of it now at this point. I think I'm on, like, episode seven. I think there's only, like, ten episodes. And so far, I disagree with the majority of the internet. And I do think it's a good show as well because I think I think there's two things. Remember recently when I was talking about uh, how I watched Captain Marvel and I was like, the problem is the internet hates women. 
Yes. I think that's a huge part of it as well because mm. the portrayal of Faye Valentine this time, she's not half naked. And the fact that they didn't sexualize her to the nth degree means that, you know, they saw it as like, oh, this is unfaithful representation of, oh, this isn't, oh, yeah, why are you clothing up all the thing? And there's, there's a scene where Spike has his top off and she doesn't do that. And you're like, shut up, you absolute chuds. Cop on, <laughs> get out of here. Like, the the whole thing is, like, I'm watching it from the perspective that it's a camp hammy homage to the show, which yeah. I think was made extremely obvious from the very first trailer that they released. This is going to be over the top. It's going to be ham acted on purpose. Like, this is exactly how we're going for it. Because let's be real, film noir. Have you ever looked at any other film noir in your life? Because mm-hmm. not many people have. And they seem to think it's all, like, super serious and romantic and stuff. It's like, yeah, but it's also ham-acted as hell. Like, it's yeah. so overblown, over-the-top, ridiculous. And that's the point of it. That's absolutely the point of Cowboy Bebop. And it's absolutely the point of the remake. Also, remakes are not supposed to be, like, for, like, representations of the original. Because if so, why make them? Why make them? Yeah. What's the point? Just watch the original. Yeah. Another thing that has annoyed the hell out of me is that they've also, a lot of people on the internet, Twitter in particular, as always, Twitter's a fault for something, um, is that the, people are posting out of context screen grabs of lines from the show and they're like, oh my God, look at the disgusting writing here. And like, if you look at it in the show, like there's one part, right? It, this is not a, a spoiler or anything, right? But there's a screen grab that I saw about 100,000 times where Jet Black, one of the main characters, is looking for something from somebody and they're like oh well you're gonna have to take me to dinner or whatever and he's like you know it sounds like blackmail and they're they're like kind of weirdly flirting because he wants something from her Mm. and she is clearly a sleazebag and she's like "Mm, yeah it is blackmail because you're black and you're male and people literally just took that one line and that one screenshot and went this is disgusting how dare you oh my god and it's like that's like pointing at like a villain that says like I love killing children taking a screenshot that says I love killing children and being like that's disgusting how dare you it's like you're taking it out of context you're taking it completely out of context Twitter is just out of context though yeah like it's look it's just it's completely unfair um, on the show and I think people are doing it in spite of the fact that it is not a perfect representation of the original which is also unfair so like, l- listen, if you're, if you're listening to this, right, and you haven't watched it yet, and you were considering it, do. Don't listen to the internet. Do go and watch it. I recommend not taking it too seriously, because it's never supposed to be taken seriously. It's also a show. Shows are never meant to be taken that seriously anyway. So, you know. This, this is a BM Cash Recommends, by the way. Watch Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. This is a, so now, now that my addition to the Bebop rant is, is done and through, uh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm fine uh, so good. far this That's week. Good. I'm glad. Um, so far this week, I've built actually two new decks for Commander. One, I've rebuilt Teshar Ancestors Apostle. I had it before. I didn't use it a whole lot, but I realized that when I took it apart, I didn't really put those cards into anything. So they've actually just been kind of laying around. So I had like 93 or 94 of the cards sitting around anyway. So I figured I'll just leave it back up. Why not? And the other one is Narumeha, Master Wizard, so mono blue. This is a new project where I'm trying to make the deck with the highest power to price ratio possible. And currently I have it sitting at around like $60 and it is quite the beast, I have to say. Last time I counted, it has 14 combos in it 
And Ooh, you've seen yeah. you've seen these decks before where it's like, oh, there's like a hundred combos or whatever in it, but they're all like crap cards by themselves. Yeah. These ones are specifically good cards by themselves. Uh, and nearly all of them are at instant speed as well, thanks to Narumeha's flash. It usually evolves her in some sort of flicker spell or whatever, you know. It's early days yet. I don't have a list that I'm happy to share out, but once I do, I will pop it on Twitter. So my article actually this week. Uh, seems like I'm doing everything in reverse. I normally talk about like the article, <laughs> followed sorry, by magic, I, I end, followed I ended by... I on Bebop. Yeah, I'm so sorry. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> We're getting there anyway. Uh, my article this week is just about some good deals that you can pick up at the moment because, you know, Black Friday and Cyber Monday and stuff's coming up. So Happy Capitalism you know. Week. Yep, 100%. It's like, here, let me sell you these things. That you don't need. Yeah, but it's there. Sorry, Scott. Um, not, not, the, not the crap on your article, Scott, but I, I mean, what it is, I mean, it? I mean, look, listen, if we had to shut down literally everything that we didn't need, we wouldn't be talking right now. So, like... Yeah. Fair, good point. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, point. I mean, you definitely need us and to support us on Patreon, uh, patreon.com yeah. forward slash Budget Magic Cast. Uh, <laughs> nice. Oh, wait, it's the BM cast, isn't it? Yeah. Ah, uh, you know what? It would help. Keep it in. I would be good at capitalism if you'd actually remember the places in which people could give us money, you know? <laughs> if you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show. And their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. It's my turn, Emma, for card of the week. And I'm going to give one that... I had to look back on the show notes because I was positive that I had done this one before. And turns out, I haven't. I searched all of the show notes, all 71 other episodes, to see if I had done this. And I couldn't find it. And that is Midnight Clock. So, Midnight Clock, for those that don't know, it came in Eldraine. It is two and a blue for an artifact that taps to add blue. So it's a three mana mana rock. And it also has an activated ability of two and a blue to put an hour counter on Midnight Clock. And at the beginning of each upkeep, you put an hour counter on it. And when the 12th hour counter is put on it, you shuffle your hand and graveyard into your library, then draw seven cards and exile Midnight Clock. In Commander, three mana rocks are fine. Them having upside is generally expected now, you know, like the, the Curse Mirror from the Lorehold Precon, Commander Sphere, and now Midnight Clock. This gives you a personal time twister. <laughs> it's bananas. Any blue deck I run, I have this. I have like 10 copies of Midnight Clock, specifically because it's just unbelievable in any deck that can run it the great thing about it is opponents know that it's coming but they're super reluctant to deal with a mana rock that's just going to go away anyway also it's just an artifact so you can easily just search for it up as well yeah it's really terrible yep and it's it's just a great way to keep gas flowing usually you know the way you try to sort of pace your gas and the stuff in your hand when this is out and it's on like eight or nine counters you're like you know what i'm just gonna dump my hand because it's probably going to resolve because people aren't going to bother dealing with the mana rock. It is very, very good. I have never been anything less than happy to see this in a hand. So, yeah. That's good. 30 it's cents, the by more, the way. It's one of the more fairer cards from Inferno Eldraine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, this week we are talking about something that we we were going to talk about earlier than this, but we figured we'd wait for a little bit longer to see how it all pans out. And it looks like not only are they probably here to stay, but they're also probably the thing that you should be doing in most constructive formats, and that is Companions. Woo. Yeah. So, first of all, to those that don't know, Companion, first of all, is a keyword ability. It's featured in Ikoria, 
And the name for creatures with this keyword ability is companions as well. That's what we call them. There are 10 so far. There's Gairuda, Doom of Depths, Giganta the Wellspring, Kahira the Orphan Guard, uh, Karuga the Macrosage, Lurus of the Dream Den, Lutri the Spell Chaser, my lovely little water sausage, Obash the Prey Piercer, Umori the Collector, Yorion, Sky Nomad, and Zerda the Dawn Waker. So if you want to check out any of those, you can go look it on the show notes or go search them up on Scryfall. So basically they sit in your sideboard outside of the game, quote unquote. And you originally were able to just play them whenever you wanted by just casting them. I can't believe it was like that. Right? It was that. that it feels so long ago, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's broken. Absolutely broken. But now you can pay three mana, three generic mana, at sorcery speed and put them into your hand from your sideboard. And then you may do whatever with them. So as it stands, the only format where a companion is banned at the time of recording is Commander. So Lutri the Spell Chaser, which I will read out now because they're my little baby. So it's three and hybrid blue-red, hybrid blue-red for a 3-2 elemental otter with flash that says when it enters the battlefield, if you cast it, copy target instant or sorcery spell that you control, you may choose new targets for the copy. Now, Companion is a restriction that is put on your deck building and... Lutri's one is each non-land card in your starting deck has to have a different name. So you can't have more than one of the same card, essentially. The reason that's banned to Commander is because it's already a singleton format. So it's a free include for any deck that's running either blue or red. And Yorion Sky Nomad is effectively banned as well because their companion requirements is that your deck has to be 20 cards greater than the minimum yeah, size. Yeah, 80. Yeah, so in Standard or Modern or whichever, it has to be 80 cards minimum Mm. instead of 60. Whereas in Commander, you can only have 100 cards, so you can't have 120. So Yorion could never be a companion there. So Emma, why are we talking about these? Why are they so good? So the reason they're so good. So before I go into why they're so good, when you play with companions, you have just as a note, because Mm. it came out in Ikoria. So we didn't really play Ikorian paper because there was a pandemic and the lockdown. So when, if you ever play a companion or have a deck with a companion, you have to reveal it before you start the game. Just to say, hey, I've got this Lurus of the Dream Den, mm-hmm. and you put it to one side. That is part of the rules. If you don't do it, you might get in trouble. If it's like competitive, for example, you may get a warning. Yep. Um, so it's just something good to know that, like, hey, I've got this Yorion. I'm playing a Yorion deck in Modern. And also, remember to not shuffle it up, because I may have done that a few times when I played Death Shadow with Lurus. Mm. Because yeah. it's just habit, right? Besides that, um, the reason they're so good is you get access to the same card and effect every game, regardless of what you draw, because it's in a separate zone, right? Yeah. You just get to you essentially open with an eight-card hand, which is really, really good. Mm-hmm. They're often powerful effects. So as I mentioned earlier, Lurus of the Dream Den's a really good example. That is probably the most played companion mm. in constructor format. So stuff like Pioneer and Modern. For example, with Lurus, the reason why Lurus is so good in like Modern and in Pioneer is that the creature can buy back non-land permanents that are two mana value or less. Given that these formats are very low mana value, this is fantastic. Also, on a side note, Lurus is banned in Legacy, which gives you an idea as well. Oh, sorry. Yes. Power level that that we're talking with as well. Oh, wait, no, it's... Uh, It was... It was... Was was it? it, Hold on. It was banned in Vintage, but then was it unbanned? It's like restricted, I think. Or like... Because they don't ban cards in vintage, they just restrict them. Yeah, but you can't. Those banned in legacy. You can't. You can't restrict the. Yeah, that's the issue. Companion, because there's only one. Uh, hold on, let me check. Let me check. We should have done this before the show. I know Loris is banned uh, in legacy. It 
It is banned in Legacy, and it was, I think, at some point banned in Vintage, and it was later unbanned, I think, right, okay. after the companion rules changed. I and mean, stuff, so. I'm not going to mention Vintage, because I don't think anyone cares about Vintage. Budget um, Vintage! I don't know, there, there could be something there for that, you never know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, but no, so Lyris is banned in Legacy, which might give you an idea of the sort of power mm-hmm. level we're talking about here. With that, is the limitations are not that difficult to incorporate. Mm. Um, so there's like very little drawback for an extra benefit. Like adding 20 cards to your deck to play a Yorion seems fine, right? Because yeah. Yorion blinks stuff, right? So you can you have ways to draw more cards. So it's not necessarily... It doesn't feel like an 80-card deck, for example. Yeah. Um, also, uh, the larger card pool it is easier to build a good deck while respecting the restrictions. So an issue in modern at the moment uh, with Lurus of the Dream Den is that you run four Mistress Baubles. Like you mm. run that package... Yeah by default because you just get to buy back mistress baubles and look at the top card in your deck and you get to draw cards that's like a really powerful engine in modern to the point where i think either or or both need to be banned at some point because modern's becoming a format where you're just building mm. a 70 card deck because the five are already sorted for you yeah yeah it can it can feel like that if you aren't aware of this already Luris is by far the most popular because yeah. They're the easiest to build with. Like, it effectively says companion requirement is build your deck as well as humanly possible. And, like, that's not hard. Most players are doing that anyway. So you see the likes of Death Shadow with it. You sometimes see Prowess with it. Mill, Burn, Jund, Hammer Time, Hardened Scales. The list goes on. Like, there are so many decks that are like, how about we just slim down, get really, really, really efficient, and then we just have this ridiculous late game it's it's so powerful it's so good i i agree with you that i do think something should be banned at some point but it's mostly because it's not necessarily for the effect itself like it is powerful but the play patterns start becoming the same regardless of the deck which is kind of wild given the different decks that i just mentioned they yeah. all start to sort of feel the same once Allura starts hitting the table which is crazy Which, it, it's kind of weird when you think about it because what's he mentioned that about uro when mm. uro got banned in modern they didn't want repetitive play patterns and it's like well you made a mechanic that promotes repetitive play patterns like escape yeah. is very repetitive right it's not that fun yet you're allowing Luris in the format that does a similar thing it's just you're playing against the same kind of decks mm. and it comes to a point where you're just doing the same stuff and it feels like a mirror match even though your decks are different it kind of feels yeah. like a mirror match because you're just running these same companions I won't be surprised to see what's he pulled the trigger at some point because mm. modern does feel like it's falling into a repetition and I know what's he are very apprehensive of that they like to freshen it up once in a while see Stoneforge Mystic Unbound is a really good example yeah. of this one thing that I have to say about Luris before we move on is if after all of the amount of time that people were talking about look oh faithless looting let's ban faithless looting and then it finally actually happens that's what gives me faith that they'll finally pull the trigger on this yeah, that's what I, I think it's, a, it's a, I think it's a case of when rather than if. I just Agreed. want that when to be very, very soon. Agreed. The annoying thing with Luris is that if you don't hold up removal to immediately deal with it, you're dead. You're, you're yeah. effectively dead. So, yeah, it, it can suck. But it's not all Luris in modern. Um, so Yorion is surprisingly popular. I think a lot of companions people were surprised at because, especially after the rules change, because like you have to pay three mana to put it into your hand, and then some of them are like five drops that don't do a whole lot. Mm. And yeah, sometimes it's still just good to run them because there are times where you'll just sort of stall out a bit and you need to find something to do. So it works. Yorion is an example of this. There are several like permanent heavy or slower decks that add Yorion because there's enough redundancy within the card pool to make a solid 
reliable, consistent deck at 80 cards as well as at 60 cards. So, for example, Taxes, four-color Blink decks. Uh, now, Yorion Rhinos is like one of the higher-tier decks. Those kind of things. Kahira is basically a free include for literally any deck that doesn't have any creatures in it. Or any deck. It's a blue-white control, which is weird. Yeah. And it also goes in Elementals and Omnath control because they only run Elementals. Just incidentally. And funny enough, Belcher has started doing it now as well. Um, Yeah. So that's basically a free include for any deck that just has no creatures. Giganta is another one that shows up a lot. It's any deck, the, the requirement for a Giganta is you can't have cards with double pips in the mana cost. So, say for example, Season Pyromancer, one red red. You can't include that, but Bone Crusher Giant, two and a red, you can. So, that's pretty handy for the likes of Color Light decks, like Affinity and Tron, because nearly everything is a single pip or no pips. Prowess and Mono Red Phoenix also basically just run single pip things because there's so many one mana spells. And then a lot of the other spells are generic mana with a single red. So, And then the other one that we were able to think of that comes up at any kind of frequency is Obosh. Almost exclusively for Obosh red, which is, a, I suppose at this point, it's almost like a mid-range deck. Because yeah. it started to go like along the, the Raghavan, DRC, Fury kind of route. So yeah, it's still there. It's still good. So generally speaking, like as you can see, unless your strategy cannot be altered to fit a companion. For example, Blue-Red Merktide. If you see no companion and you're playing against someone in Modern now, it's almost always going to be Blue-Red Merktide. Because Merktide is just too good to take it out of the deck for a companion. So it's almost always a good idea to, to run a companion otherwise. You know, even if it does mean small concessions on cards. So, for example, when we talk about concessions, um, a good example of this is Grixis Death Shadow. That for the, long, for the longest time it ran good Mag Angler, which is... Mm. Yeah. A really good threat is oft, you're often not paying the whole cost for the card, right? You're paying like one or two mana to play this big threat. Yeah. Um, but if you're adding Lurus, you can just play a longer, grindier mid-game because you have a way to bring back your Death Shadows thank, with Lurus in play, which is much, much better, right? Yeah. Than just playing this this common 5-5. It is a little weird because Lurus has lifelink, mm. which can cause a little bit of tension in Death Shadow, but you're not attacking with Lurus. It's just a value engine a lot of the time. Yeah. But yeah, just having the ability to recur your Skosa Skyclays and your Death Shadows is far better than playing like this Gurmag Angler. Another good example is um, on a Red Prowess with a Bosch. You lose mm. the Manamorphose. Oh, yeah. um, but you just get a better long game, as you said. As you say, it, it turns into a mid-range strategy. So mm. you run stuff like Bone Crusher Giant instead, um, and then maybe like the new Chandra is a really good example, the free mana one that slots yeah. in as well. So you just have this really grindy game, and a great thing about that because Obosh is a punishing effect. So any time you deal damage, you deal plus two that. Mm. So sometimes like the last few points of damage is what you're missing in these sort of decks. You, you need like one or two just to finish off the opponent. And a boss just allows that. And plus it's a good threat on its own. It can it can swig in. And with blue white control, you often drop Snapcaster Mace to run Kahira, since you are leaning more on Shark Typhoon as a win condition, which is also from the core. Yeah, absolutely. Just a, a quick little asterisk there. I just double checked Elbosh because I was completely unsure myself. Um, I, I was, was like, I was like, oh, it turns like lava darts into bolts. That sounds about right. And I just double checked there. It's actually it deals double damage. So, double damage. I'm sorry. Yeah. So like a bolt it turns into like six damage. It's yeah. Yeah, it's absurd. So yeah, just wanted to make sure that we were we were accurate yeah. with, with what we we're saying. But yeah, the point is, uh, they good. hit they hit the table, and your opponent probably is dead. So yeah. <laughs> with that 
Sometimes the companions is a free include and can even mm. trick the opponents into thinking you're playing a different strategy. For example, with Belcher, as you mentioned earlier, it now yeah. often has Kahira to make opponents to think they're on blue-white controller elementals, exactly. which require very different hands uh, to play against, but you're on Belcher, so you can give, you, you got a better chance of winning the game one, right? It just gives you um, that little bit extra gotcha. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like rolling up to an F and M with a, a lightning bolt playmat, a mono red mono red sleeve, and the mono yeah. red deck box, and you're not on burn, you're on blue white control. Yeah, <laughs> it's that Absolutely. kind of thing. Um, so cyborg slots may be tight, um, but the difference between fourteen and fifteen cards is quite small, especially when you gain that extra level of consistency and utility that you get from these companions. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So when you are looking to build a deck, you should, like we said, try and find a way to put a companion in. And to do that, you should generally ask yourself roughly these questions. So first of all, is there a companion that I can add to the deck already? So if the deck, say, like that, runs no creatures, you can just slot Kahira in and call it a day. That's probably fine, you know. You can then, if that's not the case, you can look at the different companions that are available and you'll be like, which one will help my game plan the most? You know, like a, like a red deck, you will probably look at Obash and be like, well, this increases my damage output, so this is probably the best one. So you then if you find one that you want you have to ask yourself what do i lose if i add them you know so like that in the case of red you're going to lose any abbot of carol keeps or metamorphose or whatever it might be reckless impulse if you're trying that out now you know that kind of thing and you have to try and ask yourself if that effect is worth it and a lot of the time it really really is it really Mm. is and the thing is i i know that there are some people that may not have played with companions that are listening to this and i'd be like but some of these are literally just bodies. They're just like, yeah. like, like Giganta, for example. Why restrict yourself on on things like Season Pyromancer or whatever when all you're getting is a five mana five five? It's because the option's there. Having the option I, to start with an extra card in hand, even if that card is just a vanilla creature, is just so good. So I have Mono Green Tron, and I put Giganta as my companion because it's free. I might need mm-hmm. a five five to win the game. It's just good to have it there just in case. Not mm-hmm. necessarily, hey, I need to have this access to this 5 5 at all times. But if there's a situation where I'm against, like, say, Mono Red or something and I'm getting pulverized by mm-hmm. a Mono Swiss Swissphere, Giganta can soak up a lot of damage because it's a 5 5. I actually personally think that Tron is the best Giganta deck. And the reason for that is sometimes you have to mulligan down to make sure that, you know, you get Tron and then you might top deck a threat or whatever. If you get Tron on turn three and you have nothing to do with it, you could just buy Giganta and then the next turn just play it. And like a 5-5 is still fine. It's still perfectly fine. Like the deck ran Thragtusk for a good while and still probably does. So like it's not a Thragtusk, but it's free. So, you know, yeah, it's 100%. So with all of this in mind, we have thrown together some decks that if you are a patron, you can get access to them on the show notes. The first one is Monored Prowess, which runs Giganta as a companion. This is one that I brewed up, and it is very, very, very similar to a Prowess list that 5 would recently with Giganta. So it's probably the most competitive out of all of the ones here that are budget, if you want to check that out. Affinity as well, this is my exact 75 so if you want to check that out it is also a hundred dollars and i have a very definitely positive win rate with it so highly recommend winning it is great so. winning is great I isn't it yeah winning is great also affinity is great so it is it is it's a lot of fun <laughs> i've been playing affinity a little bit less recently because of the next deck now this one is not budget but i thought i would throw it in anyway it is my actual belcher list so nice. 
it is quote unquote budget for Belcher because I haven't paid for the Endurances or the Furies yet. But oh. it's still good. <laughs> it's still good. Fury is so expensive now. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And now, <laughs> here's the thing. I've come up with two other ideas, right? I'm not going to stand by these and be like, these are heavily tested, these are played, uh, these are competitive, but they're great proof of concept, I think. I made a Luris deck, which is an eight rack deck. So, nice. yes. Sounds great. <laughs> so you've dropped the one uh, Nether Spirit, you've dropped the Davriels. What you get instead is you get Luris and the ability to bring back the racks and stuff if your opponent blow them up because there's a lot of EE and stuff around now and Ratchet Bombs. And on top of that, you also get Turok Dreadcanter, which nice. is really nice. Yeah, because they're two mana. And you can kick it and you him to Turok somebody and then you have a 4-3. So if that gets killed, you just buy Luris, play it, replay it from the grave and you can kick it from there. So yeah, it's, it's a cool idea. I think it has some legs. Um, I wouldn't be rushing to sleeve it up, but I would definitely be interested in testing it for sure. And the final one is an is it control list that runs Lutri. So this isn't, like I said, this isn't <laughs> tested. This is more of a proof of concept. It's closer to a meme than anything. But if you have the cards lying around, you can probably just sleeve it up and give it a go. It's a singleton control deck. Like, I, I don't know what yeah. to tell you. It's it's bananas. <laughs> so. Hashtag free Lutri. Hashtag free Lutri. You know what? You're right. <laughs> so that's what we have for companion list if you want to take some of those feel free if you want to sleeve them up and, and proxy them and test them out go right ahead uh, they are like i will say it is fun to play with a companion because it does feel like if you do get dealt a bad hand and you're top decking terribly you're like well at least i have something to do you know yeah this is it yeah so it's kind it's kind of like bringing a pokemon to a magic game kind of yeah it's it's good. It does feel good to play with them. I just think that, personally, Luris is probably just a little too good. You know? I agree. Um, now, here's where things get different. And where things get more... They feel naturally like this is where it's supposed to be. Mm. And that is Companions and Commander. A lot of people had said when Companions had come out that they were trying to get commander players interested in the likes of Standard or Pioneer or whatever. And to a degree, I think they were correct. Because it really feels like it should have belonged to commander because it's very interesting here. It's very cool. Very interesting. So commander can be very different for building with companions because the focus is much less on winning and it's more on interesting or fun ideas and plays and that kind of thing. And even some CEDH decks do have companions and stuff as well. So it's not all of this, but it is mostly this. So there's something I talked about before as a deck building restriction, and I'll link it to the article in the show notes about restriction breed creativity article that I did recently. It, it gives creative inspiration. You know, like if you're sitting down and you're like, okay, I'm going to build a Simic Good Stuff deck. Uh, okay, I'm going to start with a Soul Ring and I'm going to Arcane Signet and I'm going to, you know, Counterspell and an Arcane Denial. And yeah, you can't do that if you have Karuga as your companion, for example. You have to think outside the box. You have to be like, I can't go with these staples anymore because they're all under three mana value. Yeah. That's what makes these so interesting. It makes something unique, something special. And an example of Karuga is I'm going to list in the show notes my Aluna and Karuga budget deck as proof that despite adding these deck restrictions, you're still flush with budget options that are really, really powerful because the card pool is enormous. You have mm. so many good choices, powerful choices. Like, even with Karuga, for example, like, you've got great ways to circumvent the drawbacks. Like, Rift Sower 
is a three mana mana dork with suspend one green so you could just suspend this on turn one you know you've got simian spirit guide to put a three drop out on turn two if you want uh submerge is a five mana spell that's free if your opponent has a forest like taking advantage of split card rules as well with like incubation incongruity otherwise paying alternate costs or getting rid of restrictions it, it can all be done you know this is just one companion if you start looking at like oh can i build a deck with obosh in it or can i build a deck with umori as the companion or whatever you'll start realizing that you really have to think differently about building decks and that's a fantastic thing especially in commander now, when it comes to building decks with companion in mind, it, it's very similar in terms of the questions you have to ask yourself as modern and pioneer and stuff, but it is framed slightly differently in that you have to ask, like, are the companions in my colors? This is one of the main things. Because you are restricted to the colors they're in. So there aren't as many decks that you can build with it. Then you can ask yourself, like, is it possible to build a deck using my current commander and the companion I'm looking at? If not, can I change the commander to make it something more different or unique or whichever? Do I want to build around the companion rather than the commander in a way? Like, I want the companion effect. What commander best suits that, you know? You can ask how it'll play compared to no companion. Will it be more fun or exciting? Because at the end of the day, like, you're the one playing the deck and you want it to be fun. If adding a companion is going to make it fun and different and spice things up, do it. If you think it's just going to make for a worse experience overall for you, don't. Like, I'm not your boss. <laughs> you know. Commander is to play how you want to play it. It's not how other people tell you to play it. So yep. just do whatever makes you happy. That is it. And also, it's worth noting quickly that the companion has to be in the same colour as the commander, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For example, like, Umori is green-black. You can have green-black commanders or any commanders that have at least green-black in them. So if you have a yeah. Jund commander or a five-colour commander, it's all good. That does unfortunately mean that the green-red one, Giganta, because her activated ability is Wooburg, it means you can only add her to five-color commanders, which, in my opinion, are the least fun and interesting and exciting ones. But that (laughs) is a topic for the day. And the ones that are most pushed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at you, Golos. Um. Right. Kendra's next on the chopping block, let me tell you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So... Yeah, I have I have two examples of decks here. Uh, I have, like I said, my Aluna and Kruger deck, and then patron and friend of the cast, Ian Holland, who coincidentally I have to say every time is not, not my boss. boss. <laughs> yeah, uh, he has a Greven and Obosh deck that he was like, I'm thinking of building the deck. Uh, wh- what do you think? And I think he presented me with like two different commanders, and I was like, go with Greven. And he was like, what way should I build it? I'm like, uh, add Obosh as a companion. He's like, uh, what? <laughs> and he did, and he loves it. So you know win that's good <laughs> yeah that's it that's that's what we've got on companions this time around um i'm i'm aware that i talked quite a bit yes yeah, fine i've just been building and brewing with them so much since they've come out i've just got very very many opinions on and thoughts on them but yeah they're kind of neat they are they're neat in concept except lurus lurus is not neat i think that's the best way to put it I actually but think I'm, I'm looking at this from a constructed lens, not from a yes. lens, though, which is the important takeaway here. 100%. I think I've seen a Lurus Companion commander deck one time. And Interesting. It was cool. It was cool. Like, it was obviously, like, just, you know, very low to the ground and very efficient and stuff, but yeah, it was still good. Like, it was a, yeah. it was a different style of deck, I suppose, you know? So it did what it's supposed to do, which is change things up, you know? So. Yeah, fair enough. But yes. Rounding out the show, Emma. We are getting around to some Q&A. I assume we have some, yeah? 
Yes, we do have a handful of questions this week. Okay. So we'll start off with listener alters from the BMCast Discord. And they mm. ask, what's the most fun deck that you've ever played against? Ooh. Hmm. So I'll start. Yeah, um, please do. I'm going to look I'm going to look at this from Pioneer. Okay. And I remember when Pioneer first became a thing, everyone was very very excited. Long it seems like a long time ago now. I remember playing Pioneer FNM and I just built Feather, the like, original Feather, not nice. the the Lurus Feather, the Featherless Feather, whatever it is yeah. now. So yeah, original F- Boris Feather. And I remember playing the first round against somebody that was on Possibility Storm. Oh, nice. And I've never seen the deck at this point. And I was just like, what is happening? It's also yeah. great, but what the hell is happening? <laughs> I just, and I think it was that point also I kind of realized that Pioneer became its own thing as well. There was like its own sort of deck building creativity mm. that wasn't associated with standard or with modern. And I just thought, yeah, this is really, really neat. I hope this sticks <laughs> around sort of thing. I think that'd be my one. Mm. I... I'm not 100% sure in terms of constructed, like modern or pioneer. One of the first ones that sprung to mind with Commander, though, is one that I've sung the praises of before, and that is uh, my good friend Dahi's Cosima deck. It's mono blue landfall and vehicles, which is not really a combination that you would expect (laughs) whatsoever. And you would expect it to be kind of garbage because like... That's not the colour of those things. But it's really good. It's really genuinely very good. Like, they regularly drop enough lands for Cosima to come down as, like, a... With an extra, like, six or seven counters on there. And then draw, like, six or seven cards. And then they're able to, like, you know, crew vehicles post-board wipe and everything. And it's just good. It's very, very good. It's got a lot more play to it than I expected it to. And it's always a joy to behold. So, yeah. yeah. I'm going to go with that. I think I've got one constructed for you because I know you oh. built it eventually, which is Dice Factory Tron. That is fun to play. It's not the best to play against, I will say. Okay. Because yeah. I, I remember you singing the praises of that when it first came around as well. It, wa- it was yeah. cool, yeah. But I generally have a tendency to enjoy playing decks in Constructed that are not the best for my opponent to play against. Uh, so. Okay. Like, see, for example, see Storm and Belcher and so on. Yeah, yeah. It's like sometimes <laughs> you just die. <laughs> yeah. So we've got a tweet from Evie the Mage, 97. They oh. asked, Midnight Hunt over and the wedding bells ringing for Crimson Vow. I've got to point out how good Faithless Mending is in Modern. Between the reanimator decks and Jessica mm. Phoenix, it's only $2 each right now. So I'd pick a playset up as soon as possible, which I agree mm. with. I think it's going to be a very, very expensive uncommon. Yeah. And I see it it's being... just a very good card. Yeah, it's going to be around for ages. Like, until looting is unbanned, you know, eventually... My sweet prince may wake again sometime soon. But, <laughs> yeah. Actually, no, sorry. You know what? I, I do actually have to address this now. Just very quick. No, that's fine. Okay. I actually think it is now not safe to unban Faithless Looting. I'm not is saying it? I don't What's want changed? it unbanned, but I'm saying it's not safe. What um, has changed? It's the perpetual existence of Lurus. Uh, it is the uh, DRC in particular mm-hmm. is really, really too good. And then also, I think... Not necessarily Murktide as we know it, but Murktide could take advantage of it in some ways. So I'm not... And then you have stuff like Dredge as well. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like Dredge that should have been nerfed in the first place, but Looking at you, Stinkwady. Yeah, very stinky imp. Very stinky imp. 
Um, and then lastly, we've got a question from Coffee from the BMCast Discord, and they ask, what music do you all listen to? Do you have any recommendations? Uh, okay, I was wondering when someone would ask this. So, uh, Prize is taking this long, to be uh, honest. Yeah, yeah, to be fair, 72 episodes, <laughs> I wasn't expecting it to take this long. Okay, so... Yeah, <laughs> With music, uh, I'm a bit weird with music in that I started off as like a metalhead. And what, like, that was, oh God, I don't even like thinking about this. That was like 15 years ago or thereabouts, maybe more. And yeah, right. And the thing with it is that at the time, I was a little jerk. Right, I was a little jerk, right, a little dick, where I was just like, <laughs> "Oh, metal's the only good thing," and screw everything else, you know, like, and just no appreciation for like anything else, right? Because yeah. I was just such a bullheaded little twat, right? But <laughs> my tastes had evolved dramatically since then. Um, now I still do listen to some metal and stuff, but like I am kind of all over the place, all Damn. over the place. I still listen to quite a lot of like more progressive stuff and more instrumental stuff. There's some jazz fusion. There's some like there's some like electro pop stuff. Like essentially what happened was when I went to go and update the show notes with this last night, I was like, you know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to write down a couple of recommendations for songs here because there's so many different genres and types. that I can't possibly cover them all and remember them. So I started writing down a couple of songs. I was like, is there some sort of way that I could like create this list of, of songs to play where you could almost like a playlist like, yeah like a playlist or something Crazy. and then I was like oh Scott you idiot just go to Spotify make a playlist and paste it into the show notes so that's exactly what I did there's uh, roughly 20 songs on a Spotify playlist of now to be fair it's more things I've been listening to recently it's not a full cover of everything that I listen to in general but it's it's a pretty wide berth there given to a lot of uh different genres and, and stuff there so enjoy that at your leisure yep um also same i created a spotify <laughs> playlist it's about 40-ish songs on mine and that gives you a rough idea of the stuff i like to listen to the stuff i'm listening to at the moment and mm. kind of like the breadth of it so for me i kind of grew up on my parents music so mm. i quite like 50s and 60s stuff i'm quite an old soul when it comes to music um, I enjoy like the 50s and 60s. I enjoy like a bit of metal, a bit of rock and roll, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last like four to five years, I've been enjoying video game music a lot more. So like oh, Final yeah. Fantasy soundtracks and Bloodborne and stuff like that. That sounds mm-hmm. really, really good. It's really good to work to because there's not got yes. any singing in it. So I'm not distracted. I do um, actually think that's a huge influence on my um, music taste is that I yeah. have started listening to an awful lot more instrumental stuff just in general yeah. and I've realised it's because I can't focus on a single goddamn thing if someone's singing in a song and I'm trying to write yeah. something yeah. so yeah that's I think that's I the same do. here yeah yeah and then I've been enjoying like some electronic stuff but that's purely because from a like when I go for a run and stuff I like that sort of rhythmic sort of because it helps with my running and my rhythm mm-hmm. kind of thing but mostly it's just old school rock and roll because apparently I'm I have the soul of a 70 year old I mean, you do bake all the time as well. So, like, story checks out. I am just perpetually an old woman, aren't I? <laughs> the grades are coming through. Ever so slowly, they are coming through. Oh, they're, they're, they're here to stay on me already, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, don't tell and you me know that. What? And you know what? That's fine. I think it looks all I mean, right. We look I'm distinguished. I'm fine with it too. Sophisticated. Wisdom hairs. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We look like we're old enough to have our own houses, but we definitely can't afford it. Yeah. At yeah. what point do I change the BMCast logo from orange to grey? Oh no. 
Thank you for listening to us here at the BM Cast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Aliandro, Kilgore Tread 503, Max Makes Magic, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Nicholas Martin, Bradley Rose, Ian Holland, Christopher McCarthy, Tom Telford, Anton Clement, Edward Whitney, Evil Vanilla Glaze, Matthew O'Neill, Anthony Burchett, and Morgan Roberts. At the Songs tier, we have Anga Orr, Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, A Nice Planeswalker, Nerblin, Everett Brogan, Alex Gibson, Bo Schwartz Madsen, Mickey Paris, Mark Davis, Coffee, Spencer Stack, and Zachary Morrow. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We cannot thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely and wonderful people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.